Amen. Well, those who are watching online, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you would text in at 734-215-7644, uh, let us know that you're watching. And if you have any comments or concerns or prayer requests, you can send those in as well. We are on Lesson 9, <clears throat> Giving Makes a Difference. Lesson 9. And this has been a fun little series from the book of Acts, just looking at the various things that make a difference in our lives. I love the book of Acts. It's an exciting book. It's a powerful book and very challenging to us. Uh, so many things that we can take from it. Let's read Acts chapter 27. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Acts 11, 27 says, And these days, and in these, in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Interesting. We have not uh, this gift functioning in this way today, where you know, a prophet comes to our church and says, okay, prepare, famine's coming, you need to be ready for this. Um, uh, we believe Ephesians 2.20 says that, uh, that uh, uh, the, the church was built upon that foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Uh, and in the book of Acts, uh, primarily the prophets were foretelling, but occasionally they did foretell like this. But the interesting thing here is the response that they had to this prophecy. Immediately, they're saying, game on, let's do it. Let's meet this. Let's meet this need. Uh, let's take up an offering and send it by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. You know, that's a, that's a great testimony and uh, quite a challenge to us. When you get bad news, and in this case, it was a prophecy. When we get bad news, it's usually something that's current or just happened to something past, but someone comes to you and says, okay, here's the news. Boom. How do we respond? Uh, something terrible just happened to this other person over here, this friend, this church, or family member, whatever. Uh, they had a great heart, a generous heart, and a, and a heart that wanted to immediately rise to meet the need. They were givers. All through the book of Acts, you see the theme of giving. We saw it in Acts chapter 4, where those who had land sold it, laid it down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according as he had need. Uh, Barnabas kind of led the way with that. Barnabas, son of consolation, uh, uh, had land and sold it, and, and uh, many people did this. Um, th there was a culture of giving, a culture of generosity in the early church, and we'll talk about that. Um, <clears throat> I have mentioned this before, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but when I think of a culture of giving, I think of Pastor S.M. Davis's church. Now he's on the road in evangelism, but at the church he pastored for years, there in Lincoln, Illinois, they had a culture of giving. Uh, you couldn't go there, but what they didn't give you, all kinds of stuff. Um, and and the, the, the culture, the tone was really set by Pastor Davis, and the people just kind of picked that up. But it was, it was amazing. I preached there every year, maybe sometimes twice in a year, when I was in evangelism. And they had this room that they would take you in, and uh, it had uh, sermon, sermon CDs and gifts and Bibles and books and whatever. He'd take me and my wife in there every single time we came, pick whatever you want, and, and you see the price tags, and oh, don't worry about it, no, just take whatever you want. And then the love offering, I've told you about the love offering, that's the only church uh, where you would come down to where I'm standing right now. So I finished preaching, and afterwards he'd say, okay, come on down, me and my wife would stand right here. And the, uh, the, off, the usher would stand next to me with a stack of plates. And then the usher would stack, stand over here next to my wife with a stack of plates. And they'd play this song. I love you and God loves you and that's the way it should be. And the whole crowd would stand and sing. And they would clap. I love you and I love you and that's the way it should be. I love you. And, and they'd just sing that over and over and over. And everyone would come to you and the usher handed me a plate. So I got this plate. My wife is here. This usher hands her a plate. 
you stand there with a plate and the people would just come from all the aisles and load you up with money. <laughs> it was the craziest thing I ever saw. And when your plate got too full, this usher here takes that plate, sets it down, gives you a new plate, and he just dish you out the plate. Oh, my stars, but I'll tell you, uh, you know, yeah, it was a different offering, that's for sure. But I, my wife and I both will tell you, you just stand there, tears in your eyes, and you look at all these people singing with these huge smiles, I love you and God loves you and that's the way it should be. You know, uh, it, was, it was unreal. It was unreal. And uh, that church, God has continued to bless that church. It's no surprise to me that God has used that church. And they have sent out missionaries and they've done great things in their community. They continue to be used of God because no, nobody's perfect and, and they aren't either. They're sinners saved by grace. But the point I'm making is there's a culture of giving in the church. And it's just everywhere you look, people are giving. I think of the book of Acts, and I think of that culture. It was a culture of giving. When the people so much as heard a need whispered, they were on it. What can we do? Well, Agabus, what is this? What is this, Agabus, about, about a great dearth throughout all the world, uh, which has come to pass the days of Claudius Caesar? Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief. Immediately, they don't even wait for the prophecy to come true. You know, if, if, if it was us today, we'd be like, okay, that, that sounds like a need. Well, let's talk about that in the budget meeting. You know, let's get that on the calendar. Let's see if we can budget something for that. Let's get together. Let's see what we can afford. What, these guys immediately, this thing hasn't even happened yet. It's still in prophecy stage. They're already saying, let's get together. Let's make a plan. Let's send relief for a problem that hasn't even happened yet. So a couple of questions to start us off here. Um, first of all, uh, what is it that keeps us from having a culture of generosity, a culture of giving? I'm not just talking about giving as far as tithes and offerings and missions. Sure, certainly it would include that. But just giving in general just a heart that says, I want to be generous to my fellow man, generous to meet needs. Of course, generous with giving and offerings and all that too. But what, what is it that hinders uh, that culture? No wrong answers here, but obviously there was a culture here in this book. I've mentioned about the culture of giving in that church in Lincoln, Illinois. Uh, so it's working some places. And I think that there, God uses us here in this church. I think we can grow, though. We can definitely grow in our generosity and our giving. But what would it be that hinders a culture of generosity? Some thoughts here as we get started. Yes? Absolutely. Where you give your money because there's so many people trying to do do bad. Yep, I had that on my mental list. I didn't write it down, but I've kind of gone through a mental list of things that I feel hinder generosity, and that was certainly on it. Uh, you have to know that where you're giving is legitimate, that it's trustworthy, that the funds are going to go to the actual need, or that there is a real need. Certainly, that's part of it. That would hinder if you don't have confidence in, in where you're giving. That's going to hinder a culture of generosity. What else? Yes. Absolutely. And that's on my list too. Fear of not having enough if I give it away. Really, when, when you give to meet a need, there's always the question, well, who's going to meet my need? I mean, uh, I got bills too. And you think about this prophecy, they're uh, giving this relief. They're going to send this relief to their brethren. Uh, but did it not cross their mind that this famine, this dearth might impact them too? You know, that's what I'm thinking. I'd be like, I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. Thanks, Agabus. We need to start saving up, you know, get the water and put it away and oh yeah, save, save, save. That's one way you could take it. But their, their, their response is, oh, we got brothers and sisters who are going to need something. Let's, let's get together on this. So yeah, uh, that's a great question uh, uh, that we have oftentimes that hinders a culture of generosity. Am I going to have enough? What else? <clears throat> hinders, a, yes. 
of a need, whether because we're not looking or because whatever. But. Sure, not being aware of a need, maybe you're not looking, maybe, maybe you've just missed something, or maybe you're just so self-consumed that can happen. We're so busy with our stuff that we don't, we don't look out, absolutely. Ed, did you have your hand up? Yeah, being ungrateful for what we receive from God. Right. Ungrateful. And therefore, we're just kind of self-consumed. I, 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 I haven't gotten enough. I, I'm not in a position to give or whatever. Absolutely. What else? I'm sure there's probably a couple more here that we could come up with. What else hinders a culture of generosity? <clears throat> Some real foundational things that might hinder a culture of generosity. These have all been good and definitely all, all apart. How about this one? Um, just the bedrock convincement that God is going to provide. Therefore, I can give this because he's going to, be, he, he's going, he's going to take care of me. The bedrock convincement that God uh, wants to use me, will provide for me, will take care of me, and therefore, because I have that bedrock faith, I'm more free to give. I'll tell you uh, what hinders a culture of generosity probably more than anything else is unbelief and greed. Unbelief that God is going to, that he could enable me to give, that he could enable me to meet others' needs, and agreed that, as Ed said, I haven't had enough. You know, God's not done meeting my needs. Uh, I've got more to, there's more to do here before we can do something there. Uh, good. Um, anything else before we move on there? Yes? Being with all the needs out there. Yeah, that too. There is so many things that yeah. you have to pray about it and think about it sure. before you jump in. Absolutely. And you need, you need a real word from the Lord. You know, like this would be nice. <laughs> this guy comes with a word from the Lord for them. <clears throat> yeah, you can't meet all the needs. There's a gazillion commercials this time of year that are pleading for funds for all sorts of different causes. Uh, politicians are pleading for... for my, my inbox is full of politicians asking for money for noble causes. And you want to give to all these things. But we really do need leadership from the Lord. We need wisdom and direction. Uh, and then when God gives that leadership and direction, and we know he has put this need on my heart, then we need the faith to move forward with that and uh, to trust God to use us. Uh, we learned several things, caring from Peter and James, witnessing from Stephen, and encouraging from Barnabas. And now we're going to learn about giving from uh, this passage and th this group of believers. <clears throat> One researcher asked children for their instructions on life. Now, I don't know if children actually came up with these, but if they did, this is pretty good. Ten-year-old Patrick said, never trust a dog to watch your food. That's pretty good. Twelve-year-old uh, Matthew said, when you want something expensive, ask your grandparents. That's good. Rocky, who's age nine, said, wear a hat when feeding seagulls. Very practical. Rosemary, age seven, says, never try to hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. That's pretty creative. That might actually work for a little while. Uh, Carol, who was nine, said, never ask for anything that costs more than $5 when your parents are doing taxes. If these kids really said this stuff, we got some pretty uh, uh, smart kids. Joel, who is 12, not my Joel, but Joel here, he says, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. Yeah, the things kids learn. Uh, Laura, a good Baptist at age 13, said, never try to baptize a cat. That's good. Heather, who was 16. This sounds like a 16-year-old. <clears throat> she says, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. <laughs> and then Michael, who's 14, he says, never tell your mom that your, her diet is not working. Uh, some good wisdom there. Okay, 
Life lessons. Well, <clears throat> today we're going to learn more than just some life lessons, but some lessons specifically concerning generosity from these early Christians. Uh, generosity is one of the hallmarks of Christianity. There are several characteristics that should set Christians apart. And one of them should be, and biblically is, Christ, uh, is, is giving. That's what Christians are known for. So let's look at this together. <clears throat> Again, in verse 28, there stood up one named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So there was the presence of a need. The presence of a need. It was supposed to encompass the Roman Empire and beyond. This would affect many, many Christians. And at this point, the Christians were already suffering. They were already struggling. They were already losing their land just because they converted to Christ. They were already losing their jobs. I mean, this had to have been, the prospect of this coming had to have been a huge blow. I mean, we, we hear about a new COVID variant and the, doc, the stock market takes a dip, right? Uh, but we still, we're still eating and we still are working and we still have you know, so many things. Uh, these folks were dealing with a level that we've never experienced and hope to never experience. There is a need. And I, I just love the faith with which they approached this need. <clears throat> it was a prophecy. And they could still argue about, is this really going to happen? Uh, no, they just said, this is from our, our guy, Agabus. <laughs> we believe he has a word from the Lord. This is for us, and we're going to, by faith, get a move on now to meet this need. That was their initial response. Boy, that's a conviction to me. Bad news comes, and sometimes my initial response is, let's get out of here. Uh, their response was, let's face this. Let's prepare for this. Let's walk right into this as Christians, helping one another, holding one another, uh, and let God be glorified. Uh, it was an accurate prophecy. <clears throat> New Testament gift of prophecy. I'll just read this one uh, quote from the book Exploring Acts by John Phillips. The New Testament gift of prophecy was unique to the early church. It was expressed by direct inspiration of the Spirit of God. It was a transitional gift of great value until the New Testament had been written and put into circulation, after which it ceased to be relevant. For the most part, like Old Testament counterparts, New Testament prophets were foretellers, preaching forth, rather than foretellers, predicting the future. Their function was to communicate to local congregations the truth revealed by the Spirit and relevant to the present needs. But in this case, Agabus did have a prophecy of something that would come, and he predicted a famine that would spread throughout the entire known world. And this did happen. That's a historical fact. This famine did come to fruition in the reign of Claudius Caesar. It was an accurate prophecy. And the people had an acute poverty. Poverty has been no stranger to the Christian experience. Jesus himself, what did he say? He had no place to lay his head. Uh, and yet he was content and happy and served the Lord and, and had a full ministry. But uh, just a simple study of Christianity through the ages would reveal that riches, fame, and fortune is not generally... Uh, the legacy of Christians. I would say we tend more toward poverty, though there have been many that have been blessed with wealth, and that's up to God. God knows what he's doing there. But in, 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 in general, we have endured great hardships. We have not been strangers to poverty, and yet God has always been faithful, and he says that, that um, uh, he has never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will always provide. Paul knew what it meant to, to be hungry, and he writes of it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state, whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul had uh, the same needs that we have today, the same wants and uh, he saw God bless him when he had things and when he didn't have things. He saw God provide and he learned to be content in the middle of it all. Uh, many times we lose perspective 
during the hardships and we think God's forsaken us because of a financial difficulty. God's forgotten us. Uh, that's not true. God may be testing us. He may be trying us. He may be trying to prove himself strong to us in a way that we would never know without financial hardship. Um, and, 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 and yet God, like Paul, God would have us to learn that we can be content in every circumstance and we can still be used as a conduit to give others as God would, would so bless us. So many Christians have suffered so much more than we. Hebrews eleven thirty six reminds us others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these individuals are the ones that we're talking about here tonight that left a, gener uh, uh, that left a legacy of generosity. You don't have to be a Rockefeller to be qualified to give and to be generous with what God has given to you. If you're wondering, how in the world are we going to make it? How am I going to make ends meet? And how is God going to provide for me in the middle of this, this trial I'm going through? We have to remember that God has done this so many times before with all, all kinds of different Christians. Uh, Job, Joseph, and many, many more waited patiently for the Lord and saw his provision time and time again. It was uh, a real need that they saw. And the, the need was not just someone else's need, it was their need as well. But they said, let's face this need with faith and let's trust God to use us to meet the need. Why is it we don't see needs? We've already alluded to this a little bit. But what keeps us from seeing needs? You know, think about the disciples with Jesus. They're all in the exact same place, doing the exact same thing. But Jesus sees that the people are hungry, the disciples they don't. Jesus sees that the harvest is plenteous and white. The disciples don't. How is it that two different people can be standing on the same spot of ground and, and one sees a need and one doesn't? Thoughts on that? Yes? I think Brother Clapton Absolutely. So consumed and, and just living, burdened and wrapped up in, in our, our world, which, hey, I get it. We all, we all find ourselves there. Uh, but I like what you said about that passage. Take no thought for your life, what you'll, you shall eat, drink, or put on. Uh, God knows what you need, and he's taking care of it. And I think when we come to the point where we really believe that, then we are at rest and since we're so convinced that God's doing it for us, then we're convinced that God can do it for you too. And so it's like, hey, I'm okay. God's taking care of me. Now I'm not so self-absorbed and I can look around and see so-and-so has a need and so-and-so has a need. And, and if God is going to meet my need, he, he can meet their need. And maybe he'll use me to meet their need. It's a matter of, of focus, self-focus versus uh, a, a real faith that God, that God uh, has provided and will continue to provide. Yes. <clears throat> so if we, it might be easy to overlook a need if we've never been in need. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yep, very, very good. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of a guy who uh, he was he was in in need many many times, and he he um, I had the chance to to minister to him several times. And, and I remember telling him, because he was a giver, he loved to give, loved to give. But I would tell him, brother, <laughs> you got to take it easy here, pal. 
uh, let's, let's get some of your bills paid and let's take care of you a little bit, right? But the reason he loved to give is because he had been in need so many times and been given to so many times and he knew what that felt like, that he, he wanted to share. And it was a good heart. It was a good thing. I kind of had to help him sometimes to <laughs> take care of your own bills first now. But yes. Always room for good writers. Good writers? Yeah, like Paul was a writer. There's always room for writers. It doesn't cost a lot, and you share with everybody. Right? Sure. Sure. Give. Yeah, give what you have. Give what God's given you, and, and certainly God used them that way. Yeah, so I think if, if we can get the heart of Christ, and if we can get a convincement that He's going to take care of me, get our focus off of ourselves and on to the Lord and on to others, our eyes will be opened up to needs. And yes, we still, as Brother Jeff mentioned, we still will need wisdom as to which needs are ours to meet and which needs are somebody else's to meet. And sometimes I have had to counsel someone, it's, it's not the Lord's will for you to meet this need. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Uh, because your mortgage isn't paid and your insurance isn't paid and <laughs> this and there are certain things that God wants you to take care of, Okay. Uh, and you have a huge heart, and that's good. God's going to use that heart, but you got to get some things in order first. Got to take care of your household. Bible clearly says that. But we're assuming that these people were taking care of their household. They were walking with the Lord, and God was giving them wisdom uh, and leading leading them. Let's look number two at the participation in the offering. Verse 29 says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. That phrase, every man according to his ability. Now again, the thrust of this uh, lesson is not so much tithing, though you could maybe apply the general principles to that. We're just talking about giving in general. All right, a lot of things would, would, would fall under this. But just learning to be generous, learning to meet needs, see needs and meet needs in people's lives, whether it's through the church or, or just on your own, okay? But the truth is every individual <clears throat> has different ability, different opportunity. But there is something that God would have you to do somewhere. And that's the point, uh, to have the heart to want to do whatever it is that God asks of you. <clears throat> Letter A, the people, the people who gave, it says every man. It's great to see when every person is doing something for the Lord. Rarely do two individuals give the same size gift. God doesn't need that, and it's not a competition who gives more or anything like that. Uh, the, the point is, are you doing what God would have you to do? Giving was never meant for a select few within the church. These guys all make the big money. They're the givers. You're struggling. Don't worry about it. Uh, no, God, God wants everybody to be a part of this. Now, you could look at this from a very practical perspective and just say it doesn't make sense. If, if there's other people in the church who make 10 times what I make and have way fewer debts, just practically speaking, wouldn't God want their money more than mine? But if you re recognize, it never was about the money. It's never been about the money. It's about the faith. It's about God wanting to touch your heart and do something in you and through you. Uh, he wants you to do what you can do. And you're going to grow through that. And you're going to be blessed by that. Uh, the widow's might. We still hear about that to this day. Because she gave so much. No, because she sacrificed so much. Because she trusted God so much. Because she was willing to be a vessel. And if you take the widow's might story, and if I may, wed it with the story of the five loaves and two fishes, there you go. God can take the widow's might and make that thing go. Uh, so don't be intimidated because you cannot give as much uh, compared to somebody else. No, no, no. God can do great things through that act of faith. Um, and, and he will do something through us and also something in us. 1 Corinthians 16 talks about some of the practicals. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him as in store, as God has prospered him. 
Again, uh, Moses encouraged uh, every person to be involved in Deuteronomy 16, 17. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God which he hath given thee. So it's, it's a blessing for every one of us to be a part. And at first, it may seem like my part is puny. I mean, this is not making an impact on anybody. But you don't understand uh, the investment principle. What starts out puny can become huge. There's a story about this guy who uh, got in on Apple at the very, very beginning. Apple stock. And he had 10%. He owned personally 10% of Apple's stock. That's pretty cool. Uh, he thought, um, hey, you know, my stock is up a few bucks. I don't think Apple is going to really make it. I'm going to get out. And so, as the story goes, he sold his 10% for 800 bucks. And that was in 19, what was it? I don't know. It doesn't give the date. Hey, 800 bucks, that's not bad. Do you know what 10% of Apple's stock is worth today? Uh, if I did my math right, $289 billion. $289 billion if you had 10% of Apple stock. Um, yeah, that's how investments can go. Mine haven't. <laughs> At least the, uh, the, those uh, the dollars and cents kind. But the spiritual ones, we, we sell God short. Uh, God's not going to use me. God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need my talents. Well, there's so much people in this church that are better off and w more well-equipped, and I'll just let them do it. You are selling God short. You're selling your, your stock premature. God wants to use you specifically. Every man, the Bible said, uh, but also <clears throat> the proportion they gave according to his ability. This should encourage us. The participation was to vary by individual based on the unique enabling of God in the life of each person. Hey, praise the Lord. There's other passages in Scripture that, that bear this out. Uh, remember the, the, the five talent steward and the, was it three or two? Five, and I think it was two and then one, something like that. Uh, they each, the Bible said, were re received those talents according to their several or individual ability. And then the Lord came back and reckoned with each one individually according to their specific situation. Hey, God knows where you're at. He knows what he's given you. And you're not accountable for anything that God has not given you. But you are accountable for what he has given. You're accountable for uh, the widow's might, if that's what it is. No one is in competition with anybody else. No one should be comparing himself with anybody else. The Bible says you're unwise when you do that. Individuals are responsible and accountable for doing what God would have them do as he is entrusted to them. The widow's might, the widow was commended not because of the greatness of her offering, but because of the greatness of her faith and her sacrifice. And in that sense, he said, she has cast in more than everybody. God wants to use that. Again, Deuteronomy 16, 17, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord, thy God, which he hath given thee. You know, sometimes God just puts something on your heart and you just know. And you, you pray about it. And, and it's good to seek confirmation through his word, confirmation in prayer. Don't just go off of some gut impulse, but... I remember when my wife and I were in evangelism, <clears throat> we were the recipients, we have been the recipients of so many gifts. Uh, I, I probably should have kept a journal of all of the gifts that we received. It would be a huge journal. I mean, and evangelists, every, every single meal is from somebody, right? I mean, I can't believe how I lived for eight years when I look back on it, how good God was. There was one time where God gave us uh, a large gift and I just knew we weren't supposed to hang on to this. We had, all of our needs had been met. They had been met in amazing ways. 
we were totally, we were in a great place financially and things were great. And then this gift came in right at the time that I knew, um, I was the staff evangelist for Baptist College of Ministry. I knew several students were trying to pay their last bill. And of course, we took students out on our traveling teams. Uh, It was just before you go home for Christmas break, you got to pay your bill. And if you don't pay your bill, you can't come back in January. And as soon as I got that, it's like there was an immediate sense, this is not for you, this is for somebody else. There's somebody else who needs this more. And I went straight to my wife. I said, "Hon, what do you think about this? I'm feeling like the Lord wants us to give this to to somebody who, who has a bill to pay. And she said, you know, I think that'd be great. So we prayed about it. We both got peace about it. Then I went into the finance office and I inquired about a student. Sure enough, they needed exactly what we had. And it was like a no-brainer at that point. Uh, so uh, we gave it uh, anonymously. And then I got that letter back. That the person didn't know who they're writing to, but they gave it to the financial officer who gave it to us. And they just said how, how much that had been an answer to prayer and how they were, they were so concerned they wouldn't be able to come back. And the amount was astronomical. Well, it wasn't astronomical, but to them it was. Uh, and and I wouldn't be able to come back, and God did this. And uh, to see their faith built was encouraging to me. And also, I'm usually the one on the receiving end. It was nice to be on the giving end and, and to be able to bless the student and allow them to come back and graduate and so forth. Um, uh, but it was, it, it was what God had entrusted to me at the time. It's not like somebody else has to do that. God didn't give you that. But God had specifically laid that on my heart, my wife's heart, uh, hey, this is what you can give according to your ability. And it was a blessing. Paul gave instructions regarding another offering for Jerusalem. And again, in 2 Corinthians 8, he's, tell, he's shown us that this is not a one-size-fits-all thing, but God will use you if you're willing. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and you're burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want or their need, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there be, may be an equality as it is written, he that gathereth had much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack. So the great news there is what? No one is expected to give what you don't have. Hey, so you don't have to sweat it. Is, that, is God going to call me to give $10,000 to missions? Uh, he's not going to do that unless he gives it to you to do that. Uh, all right? So we can trust him. The, the issue of proportionate giving should encourage every Christian, especially when you find yourself in difficult circumstances. But I would also say we should have a desire to give And I would pray this way. Uh, Maybe you're in a place where there's a lot of debt, there's a lot of pressures, there's a lot of bills, and you're not freed up to give like you'd be able to. Pray, Lord, help me to get my finances in order that I can give even more, that I can be used in even greater capacity. Um, It's easy to pray selfishly. Lord, help me to get my finances in order so that we can do all the crazy things that we want to (laughs) do. Okay, well, God likes to bless us for sure. But... Uh, I think it'd be a great prayer and a great heart to just want to get our finances in order so that we are ready to be called upon. God sees a need and he says, so-and-so, meet that need. So, oh no, so-and-so, you can't. Yeah, you're still getting your finances in order. I don't want that. <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I want to be able to say, Lord, my finances are in order. I can be trusted to help meet this need. That, 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 I think that'd be good for a Christian to have that on their heart. Um, Some people want to give a large gift someday when maybe by chance uh, God brings everything together and, and, and their ship comes in and so forth and so on. But it is better, rather than wanting to give some large gift someday, just give according, give proportionately where you're at right now. Just have a heart to give now. Give something now. Letter C. So we saw the, the, the people gave every man. They gave according to their ability. And uh, the purpose they gave is the, to, to give relief unto the brethren. 
There's the children's song that we've all probably sung at one time or another, sharing, sharing, that's what Christians do. Uh, that's what Christians do. We give. Uh, though generosity may not come naturally to you, generosity comes naturally to the Spirit and, G- and Jesus, all right? He's the author of generosity, and so as we are walking with him and know his heart, uh, genera- generosity should be an outgrowth of that. Our default setting is look out for number one. That phrase technically should mean look out for the Lord because isn't he number one? <laughs> isn't God number one? But when we say look out for number one, we are talking about ourself. And uh, really, we need to get that thing straightened out. The Antioch Christians could have said that since this famine is coming, I had better save up and prepare for my future problems. But they said, there's others who are going to be worse off than me. I have, and so therefore I can share. They wanted to be a vessel. They wanted to be a channel that God could flow through. And that's my prayer. I say, Lord, help me to be a channel that you can entrust to give me something and know that it's not going to get stuck, but it's going to go right through the channel to where you would have it be. They gave to help others, other ministries, other needs, other people that they had never even met. Uh, They wanted to be the channel of God's blessing to them. Zacchaeus is a great case study on this matter of giving. And it's interesting. He lived his whole life one way, his whole life. But what happened when he got saved? That fast. He was sharing. He was giving. And I believe that that's simply because that's what Jesus is. Jesus came to give everything. He gave his life. It is one of the hallmarks of, 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 of Christianity. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do fourfold. Just give him back what you took. Maybe with a little interest. He says, no, fourfold. Immediately, God had changed his heart. And uh, we need to pray that God helps us with that as well. The participation in offering. So the presence of the need and then the participation in the offering. We'll see lastly the pattern for New Testament giving. Which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. This was not the first time, nor would it be the last time that they would take up a collection and meet some needs for others. You see it in Acts 2 through 4, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians. It's just a theme throughout the New Testament. And uh, Paul was both a recipient of God's people's gifts as well as a conduit of gifts to other people. There's three things we want to see, three characteristics that should become uh, the giving DNA of our church, all right, as it was in the church here in Acts. First of all, systematic giving. You know, it's always easier to do something that you do all the time, right? If something is like the first time you ever did it, it's just very foreign, it's harder to do, harder to get up for. But um, this was not the first time they'd given. They were used to giving. They gave systematically, regularly. They had a giving mentality. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And you get this idea that there was a regular collection on the first day of the week. And we continue that to this day. We uh, take up an offering a free will offering on Sundays, the first day of the week. And that is, it's, 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 it's tithes, but it's also offerings above the tithe. It's giving to various designated things. It's giving to missions and so forth. And we want to do this regularly. It's good to have a system so that it's just part of our life. And, and uh, you don't even have to hardly uh, discuss it. You just know, I'm going to give as God continues to give to me. I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give, and I want to do this regularly. A sure sign of Christian growth is faithfulness in giving. 
It's a quote from the book. A sure sign of Christian growth is faithfulness in giving maturing Christians work to become systematic, predictable, and dependable in their giving. And if you need help with that, you know, I would even encourage you uh, online. One thing that helps me is you can set it up to be systematic and regular. Now, if you're, you're giving changes, if it's not the same gift every week, then that wouldn't work for you. But uh, there are even technology that can help us with this. One man wrote, I found an old ledger that showed how uh, uh, the Duke spent his money. It was a far better clue to what he thought was really important than reading his letters or his speeches. Sure, absolutely. And, and, and I hope that we would have our ledgers full of giving, whether it's to the church, through the church, needs around the church, but that would be just who we are. So systematic giving. Try to be systematic if you can. And then sacrificial giving. You see that certainly modeled here in the, the early church. Sacrificial giving. In the early church, giving always included some measure of sacrifice. Paul used the Macedonians and their example. And what did he say specifically about the Macedonians giving? What was, what was unique about it? I mean, I, I suppose a lot of things, but they gave out of what? Poverty. They did not give out of abundance. The thing about the Macedonians was that the reason their example was such an example was they gave out of the depth of their poverty. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8.2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and the deep, their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. God kept them going. And he knew I can give to this group of poor people because they'll trust me for their needs and they will give to the needs that I tell them to give to. I can trust them. I'm going to keep giving to them uh, because they're going to keep uh, being useful. The Lord, um, we go further in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. <clears throat> it's important for us to be willing, even if it seems a sacrifice, to be willing to say, Lord, you, you show me, you lead me, and by your grace I will follow. And God will take care of you. He doesn't call you to do something that he's not going to enable you to do. Again, the key is, let's, let's look to him, let's be spirit-led, and let's, let's uh, hear his voice and obey. Sacrificial giving. <clears throat> and then sincere giving, thirdly. If giving is anything, it needs to be sincere. God says in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, uh, it's not just the outward, mo uh, the outward motions, but the inward motives that he sees and takes note of. It is to be a sincere heart. Sincerity means a willing heart. God never intended his work to be supported by anything but a willing heart. It says in 2 Corinthians 8.3, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. For if, they were, if, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not talks about their willingness twice when it came time for uh, the tabernacle to be built Moses was of course involved in this and he had a stipulation for the offering in Exodus 25 willing hearts willing hearts in other words God's not trying to put us over a barrel and and, and extract it from us uh, there's no blessing in that. There's no blessing in having something extracted from you and you're having your fingers pried off of it. But the blessing is in the faith, in the trust. I'm trusting God and I'm so excited to be a part of this. I'm willingly giving, giving this because I believe by faith he's going to use that gift. He's going to take care of me and it's going to be okay. Exodus 25.2, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. How they respond? Verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing, 
And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for the holy garments. Willing, willing, willing. And that's just simply the heart of faith. The heart of faith is what makes you willing to say, Lord, I believe you're going to take care of me, and so I willingly give this, that you might use me to take care of another. Sincerity means a willing heart. Sincerity also means a loving heart. We say that we love the Lord, but our, our treasure and our money also talks about what we love, right? Our checkbook might betray uh, our true love. Uh, checkbook or whatever you use. Checks are kind of going away, aren't they, these days? 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 says, I speak not by commandment, but, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. In other words, he says that your giving does prove the sincerity of your love. Sincerity means a willing heart, but it also means a loving heart. We love the Lord and we love his people and therefore we're willing to give toward them. Sincerity thirdly means a joyful heart. When you love someone, you enjoy giving to them. I, uh, as a kid, I loved Christmas because of what I would receive. You wake up and you run to the presents and everything and oh man, Christmas is, is uh, the best day of the year and it still is the best day of the year for me, but now for a totally different reason, I love seeing my kids. I love seeing their faces. I love the squeals and screams and whatever. And now I sit there on Christmas morning with my video camera, catching all of the different things and, and just getting joy in their joy, right? Well, it's the same thing with the Lord. We get joy when we honor and obey and please the Lord and give to him by faith. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, let him give, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. What is it, I'm thinking of one thing specifically, what is one, and maybe there's more, but I'm thinking of one thing specifically that would enable you to be cheerful and joyful when giving. What's one thing specifically that would enable you to be cheerful and joyful when giving. I think we've already mentioned it a couple of times. Yes. Well, gratefulness for sure. Yeah, so there's more than, I wasn't thinking of that one, but that, that certainly is, is true. I'm grateful and therefore I can uh, uh, give to another and that gives joy. I was thinking more of the matter of faith. Because I believe God's going to do something, I'm excited about it. I'm going to give this away, and it's going to be so cool to see what God does. You know, as opposed to I'm giving this away, and I don't know how I'm going to make it. Oh, it's scary to give. No, actually, giving by faith, when God is in it and God is leading, it's exciting and it's joyful and it's cheerful because I am in the middle of what God is doing. And now I get to have the eager excitement and anticipation of what is he going to do through me? What's going to happen? And that's exciting. David demonstrates the heart of, sin of sincere giving. Israel had given their offering for the preparation of the temple, and King David responded with humble joy. Now therefore, O God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. It is a time of rejoicing because they were able to give and be a part of what God was doing. Folks, I hope you want to be a part of what God is doing. Faith says you can be. It says God's going to use me. He's going to take care of me. It's going to be okay. I can entrust this to him, and it's going to be exciting to see what God does. Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. I don't think I read this next verse, 2 Corinthians. Yeah, oh yeah, the, 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 the verse from uh, David went on. He praised his glorious name. He says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine have we given thee. He said, we're just giving you back what's already yours. Of thine have we given thee. 
So why is, so, is God so concerned about money? Well, money is just a tool that he uses, but it's also a test of our relationship with him. It's a proof of where our heart is. If God's after one thing, it's not money, it's your heart. And money can be a revealer of our heart. We're about done here, but I want to just say as we wrap up, um, I want to pass on to my kids generosity and, and a, a uh, example of generosity. And so, of course, what does that mean for me? That's one of those things that is caught, not taught. I can teach about giving all I want, but if I do not show my kids giving and generosity, forget about it. Um, I've spent some time, I spent some time with a missionary, and uh, every time I was, I was with this missionary, and we'd drive around, if he ever saw someone who was uh, just walking on the road, he would stop and pick them up. Scared me to death. Every single time. Uh, hitchhikers. And I'm like, man, I don't know about this hitchhiking thing. He would pick them up every single time for the purpose of not just ministering to their need, but giving them the gospel. And he shared the gospel with them every single time. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's passed that on to his kids. That it's like what, what, what you see dad do that's just kind of what we do, right? You know, we take care of people. We pick them up and we take them. And uh, the Lord's protected them. It's worked out okay for them. Uh, but there are things that you cannot pass on to your kids if you're not doing it. And they have to see that it's real. So I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for you all that God would help us to have that example. I want to close uh, with this quote. Any thoughts before I close? Yes, uh, Tyler? Amen. That's a good verse. Oh, the reference on that again? Luke 6:38. Amen. That's good. Luke 6:38. Ed, uh, Ed. I couldn't help but think of the instructions that were given to servants in the book of Ephesians. It said, "With goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men." You know that that's God is after our hearts. Mm. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man giveth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So he, he's talking to all of us. And when you put the pieces together, Christ was the, the ultimate servant. Mm -hmm. Right? He did everything for God, and then he's going to wind up being exalted mm -hmm. in due time. And what are we going to receive of the Lord when we get to heaven? Amen. Amazing. Yeah, that's good. Praise the Lord. Another good verse. What was the reference on that again? Okay, Ephesians 6. Tremendous. Anyone else? Some thoughts here. Well, let me give you this quote. The limits of money. <clears throat> money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not appetite. Money will buy finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Money can buy luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. Money will buy a passport to many places, but not heaven. And I thought that was a, that was a great little, little quote. Uh, we, we oftentimes get so attached to the money because we think it can do so much for us. But the money really doesn't do it. The money doesn't make the home, doesn't give the happiness or whatever. Uh, it is just that tool that God wants to use to help us grow and to accomplish his work 
And so may God help us to have the right view of money, not to have the worldly view and uh, be able to be uh, useful stewards and generous givers in his cause. Well, good. Let's close with a word of prayer. It's good to be back in our life groups together. This has been good. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your goodness. Thank you for enabling us, Lord, to make a difference and to, to be generous, to be givers. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to pass on a legacy of giving here in this church and in our own families. May our kids understand and, and uh, see and learn by our example. Lord, teach us to walk by faith in this regard and to know the, the joy of being a, a part of what you're doing, to be a channel of your provision to others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight.